Hi, this is Clayton from Chicago, Illinois. And if I didn't spend so much time listening to better podcasts, I still wouldn't listen to I Doubt It with Dalmar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Thank you for joining us and welcome to this very special 224th episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore. And sitting across from me is my lovely co-host, who is eager to get this show on the road, Brittany Page. Uh, You like how I enunciated Brittany? I did, but some people won't. Because you are a weirdo about how people spell your name. You, You think there's a correct way and an incorrect way to spell Brittany. Um, I do, but you know what? This is a pretty heated topic, and uh, wait, 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 wait. Well, it's really the polarized. Spelling, the spelling of in the Britney community is it very polarized? Yeah, <laughs> and some people could get really upset. So I just kind of want to avoid that controversy we, altogether. Sh- just shy away from it. Just avoid it. Yeah, and let's talk about like the less controversial things, like assisted suicide, <laughs> and like right. you know, let's get to those things. Yeah. Well, let's do that. In fact. This show is going to be a little different because of the horrific events in Orlando. We'll, we'll get to all of that, and we're only going to touch on it just a little bit because details are still coming in. It's early on. Things change. It's a fluid situation. But first, let's do what the lovely Brittany Page just said. Let's get to a listener voicemail related to a topic on episode 223 in which we talked about California's passage and implementation of a new assisted suicide law. We got a voicemail from a listener in Canada. Hello, I am a wafer-eaten, wine-swilling Catholic, and I never... Never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. And I'm calling about the assisted suicide. I will tell you something as someone who is chronically ill. If I want to die, I don't need a law. What I need is a little piece of paper called DNR. That's do not resuscitate. Sign that little piece of paper, and I'm that critically and chronically ill not this time, but at the end of my life, I most assuredly will be because I have lived my whole life with chronic illness. I am a juvenile diabetic, and I can just count on, you know, fraying apart at the end of my life. I watched my best friend do it. So when I want to die as a wafer-eaten, wine-swilling Catholic, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sign that little DNR, and I'm going to stop eating. And if I'm really so sick, I'm six months from dying, you sign that DNR, it doesn't matter what the hell happens to you. When those AMBO people show up, they can't touch you except to put you into the hearse. And I think people want assisted suicide so that they can get a permission slip from their doctor to be excused for committing a mortal sin. Wrong place for forgiveness. 
Well, <laughs> wow. First of all, thanks th- thanks for the voicemail. Thanks for the 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 communication with the show and furthering the conversation. We appreciate it very much. Uh, obviously, I vehemently disagree, and there's several points that I want to touch on. Maybe we should go backwards. First, let's talk about people who want assisted suicide so they can have permission slip for committing a mortal sin. Um, one, it, it, since you don't listen to the show, wink, wink, you do know that I don't believe that there are mortal sins. I don't mm-hmm. believe that. Mm-hmm. If I had brain cancer and I was in a tremendous amount of pain and I wanted to to die with dignity, not shitting myself and puking constantly and being in terrible, debilitating uh, hallucinatory type of pain, mm-hmm. I would take advantage of the assisted suicide law as it as it reads maybe in Oregon or, or in California. I don't know enough about it in California, but I would want to do that. And not because I want a permission slip because I don't believe in your particular deity. I don't believe in your particular faith structure. I'm an atheist. I would want it to avoid that type of pain. Right. And there's another important distinction that I want to address here, which is the caller said that they are chronically ill. And there's a there's a difference between being chronically ill and terminally ill. Yeah. And the assisted suicide laws are for people who have terminal illness, which means there is no treatment. Um, it, it doesn't mean you're going to be sick for a long time. Or odds are you're going to die. Right. It's their is treatment go ahead and try it but you're you're gonna die and so there's a there's a key distinction there where this person that chooses to go the assisted suicide route is not just chronically ill and has the ability to treat themselves but remain sick they are going to die anyway right they're just choosing to take that time and shorten it the other thing caller that i would say is that there's really no difference in the way Brittany Maynard went out choosing to take medication that hastened her her demise very rapidly and your way. You cho- you're just going to starve yourself to death. Well, that's suicide. If you choose to stop eating, knowing the result will be death, that's suicide. That's just a really slow, shitty way to go. Mm-hmm. So... According to your faith, that also would be a mortal sin because the mortal sin is the action. You're you're committing suicide via self-starvation. That's still, according to your 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 system of belief, that's still a sin. That's still suicide. Mm-hmm. The other thing. And maybe you didn't mean for it to come across this way, is when when you talk about watching your friend fraying apart at the seams at the end of their life, that's sad to me. It's very sad. I, I wouldn't want to be in a position to watch someone for whom I have deep abiding love fraying apart at the end of their life. I, I, want, I want them to be at peace. I want them to be not in excruciating, mind-altering pain. And if, if, if I could ease that by helping them 
And if they could ease it themselves by by taking action that would end that pain, even if it's to save themselves two weeks or a month, I would want them, as someone who loves them, I would want them to be able to make that decision for themselves. And I know we've talked about it every time we talk about assisted suicide, but everyone needs to watch How to Die in Oregon on Netflix. Absolutely. It takes a very nuanced approach to this and shows the struggle that happens for someone who is attempting to make this decision. Right. And how you can change your mind, how you can change your mind at the last minute, you know, walking you through the steps and the struggle that people experiencing terminal illness, knowing they're going to die are dealing with when they are getting sicker and sicker and moving closer to their death. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to watch, but again, it, it it shows you what this is like. It gives you the inside perspective for people who are going through this and making this decision. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the other thing would be this, caller, is if you choose to do the DNR and you choose to starve yourself to death, that's awesome, and that is your choice. I'm not denigrating your choice. I'm just saying that wouldn't be for me. But just because you have a worldview that involves Catholicism and that involves mortal sins and and venal sins and all the different levels of sins, and just because you have that belief, that shouldn't be foisted upon me. I should have the choice to die on my own terms facing a terminal illness. I I shouldn't have your worldview and your set of values as my only choice. I should have others. If you choose to apply your your worldview to, to your end of life decisions, that is awesome and you should have that right. No one's saying you have to choose assisted suicide. Just as no one should be telling me I don't have the right to choose that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks for the call. As always, thank you for the call. We appreciate listener participation, and we value the conversation even when we disagree. Maybe even more when we disagree. Yes. If you, too, would like to sound off and communicate with the show, participating and furthering the conversation, moving it forward, you can do so 657-464-7609. That is our number. You can also email a voice memo to our Email, wow, that's that didn't really come out very well. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to our email, which is idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right, well, it is no surprise. Well, first of all, let me say this. I am tired as something that's really, really tired right now, Brittany. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't sleep last night. Mm-hmm. I think I got a half hour, 45 minutes of sleep because... Right before I went to bed, I flipped on CNN. You know, I'd wind down a little bit. With news. Well, you know, it's well, it's the first channel that comes on mm-hmm. on Sling TV because mm-hmm. we cut the cord. We don't have cable. Yes. So when you click on Sling, it's on whatever channel you were on previously. So CNN comes on and I'm seeing what is unfolding, which at the time was just a, a shooting, quote unquote, at a gay club in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Pulse nightclub. Mm-hmm. Well, instantaneously, I'm I'm in. I'm watching. Oh my God, what is happening? Another tragic, horrific shooting, which begins to unfold 
with an apparent motivation of terrorism, of radical Islam inspired by ISIS. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but I waited until I'm just kind of explaining the, the process of not sleeping. They said they were going to have a press conference at early in the morning on like daylight hours, Orlando time, which is still the, you know, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, our time. And I ended up finally falling asleep around 730 in the morning and then got up, you know, eight, 830 or so. So I'm speaking of fraying apart. <laughs> I'm fraying apart now. But let's get into this a little bit with what we know. And we're not going to belabor this because um, not all the facts are out there. Not all the details are known. But let's talk about what we do know. Currently, the death toll stands at about 50 and injured over 50. So 100 plus people are dead or injured at the hands of someone who called 911 and pledged their allegiance to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS. And this is the the deadliest shooting in American history. That is right. And it's the deadliest terror attack since 9-11. And it happened at a gay club in Orlando. So I think that's an important thing to note. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say that... Um, even though this kind of thing keeps happening, it doesn't get any less frustrating or upsetting or difficult. Um, when I woke up and started hearing the details, I was just so angry and frustrated and sad. And I can't imagine what all these families are going through. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, it's... Well, it was some unique footage. Yeah. Watching, because it took place over the course of several hours while this asshole had these people held hostage inside of what is being described as actually a pretty small club, a pretty small space. And there's footage of people taking cell phone videos. Of course, all this stuff becomes available to the public. And there was a gunfight that was on screen. I mean, you don't see the, the shooter, but you hear the shots and people are carrying victims and, and gunshot victim. I mean, goddamn, it's terrible. I mean, to say there's no words to really sum up the, the tragedy that was we were bearing witness to on live television. Yeah. I, I mean, really... I cannot imagine what those families you'll you're already in a marginalized group in a group that traditionally and historically has not been treated well in America, in the world, in society in general. Mm -hmm. And you go to a place that you you want to feel safe 
Well, and, and gay clubs have historically been safe spaces, right? Because That's right. when they weren't accepted in other places, they created their own own spaces to go to, their own safe spaces to go to. And so when the LGBT community goes to gay clubs, they're going to their own place with yes. their own people to celebrate and have a good time and that's what makes this even more upsetting is that he he went to these places that are typically safe for this community and i mean it's just it's really disturbing similar to what they did in paris where they went to you know the concert they went to where people are having a good time enjoying their life yeah um i think that makes it extremely disturbing and it's it, listen. Obviously, the the sheer numbers and the carnage that's being described is terribly upsetting. But I'm I really I I go back and I think about the families and how and the stories about people texting their mom, people trying to get a hold of their families to call 911 because they don't know what's happening. People who are alive in the bathroom or in different rooms in this club and are hiding under dead bodies to avoid detection by this maniac. To say it's sad, I mean, really... There are no words. There's no way to adequately describe the the sadness, the loss. It's a it's a terrible day. It really is. There is though an odd thing that's taking place in in talking about what happened in Orlando. What I'm seeing unfold here relative to the discussions on Facebook, because that's kind of where everybody communes to talk about these things these days, is that there's this gun control versus terror conversation. And just like every other goddamn topic in the world, it is becoming one or the other. And it's not one or the other. We can have a conversation about both. Both can be important and substantive and at hand. And that is not what's happening. People are, oh, this is a gun control, gun control, gun control thing. We need to stop guns. We need to stop guns. And let's have that conversation. But let's not ignore that this was a terror-related incident. He was inspired by the teachings of ISIL a fundamentalist form of Islam, a fundamentalist version of Islam. The other thing I'm hearing is a lot of talk about hate crime laws and and how they need to be bolstered. And my question would be, how would that have prevented this? You think this guy was worried about being charged with a hate crime, with an enhancement on his sentencing for hate crime? It's a lot of diversion stuff that doesn't really get to the core of what would prevent this. It's the same with the gun control talk. 
what gun control laws, and there might be some, and this isn't this is not just a rhetorical question or something smarmy. Seriously, what gun control measures can we put in place that would have stopped this from happening? That's a conversation that needs to be had. Even Marco Rubio this weekend was interviewed and talked about stronger background checks. And I'm all for stronger background checks. The other thing that happened related to this is that whack job pastor in Tempe, Arizona. Um, before, before you go on, I want to say something. Yeah. So I've been seeing a lot of people um, jumping to blame mental illness. Yeah, like every single time. And this is really frustrating to me because this happens every time there's a shooting. And I don't know where people are getting this. I know that the shooter's ex-wife was interviewed and they haven't spoken for seven years. And she said that he was mentally unstable. A couple of things. Someone being mentally unstable doesn't mean they have a diagnosed mental illness. Um, that's just a phrase that people toss around. Right. Also, it's his ex-wife. Try to think of what your exes might say about you. Right. Well, she's also not a clinician. She's not a mental health expert. And people with mental illness are much more likely to be victims of violence than to perpetrate violence. Yes. And I think that what's getting lost here is that this was an act of violence that was committed against gay people and he had a religious motivation for doing this and if we want to talk about what happened here we have to talk about the motivation and unfortunately because of the religious indoctrination that he's received he felt this way when his son saw two gay men kissing yes and he became angry and then killed 50 gay people and wounded 50-plus other gay people. Well, where the uncomfortability comes in is people are afraid to talk anything negative about Islam. They could shit on Christians for not baking cakes for gays and their weddings all day long with ease. They feel no discomfort doing it because they're no threat of death when you shit talk a Christian a shitty attitude Christian who doesn't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding. That's easy to do. What's not easy is to criticize Islam. One, because there's a a violent component. But the other thing is that there's this, this liberal tendency, and I don't use that word negatively, but there's a liberal tendency to ascribe or connect brown people to Islam. And they don't hope you don't want to criticize someone who's a brown person or a minority. Oh, my God, you can't do that. And that's not the case. There are, are millions, if not hundreds of millions of whites and Asians, non-black and brown people who are Muslims. Islam is a religion, not a race. Islam is a set of ideas and principles that we should be able to freely criticize as free-thinking men and women. Well, and I think what you're getting at is that it's not just Islam, right? It is 
religion. Yes. And it is also Christianity. And, you know, I've seen a lot of unfortunate things from the Christian community since this happened. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, yes, that leads me right back to our point, which is Stephen Anderson, Pastor Stephen Anderson at Faithful Word Bible Church in Tempe, Arizona. And first, I'm going to get his phone number and his email out right out of the way before we even play part of this clip, which we're not going to play all of. His phone number is 602-456-1049. Once again, 602-456-1049. And his email is faithfulword1 at gmail.com. So before we play this, I just want to say that um, this is extremely hateful. and ups- are, you, are you trigger warning everybody? Well, <laughs> as I was listening to it, I was getting so angry that oh, yeah, me um, too, for sure. I just think that, you know, we have very compassionate listeners who care about people. And when they hear this guy talking, they're going to have a similar reaction that I did. And even though there has been a lot of hateful reactions... There's also been a lot of loving, positive reactions, and we'll talk about that to kind of counter the vitriol that you're about to hear. And we're not playing all of this. This is an over four-minute video that I took this audio from. Um, And this guy, this Christian, rushed to get to his iPhone so he could sit at a picnic table and record this video as soon as he could because he wanted his message out there. Hey everybody, Pastor Steven Anderson here from Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. And I just wanted to record a quick video about the news this morning about the shooting in Orlando. I guess a a Muslim terrorist went into a gay bar and shot him up and um, there's 50 uh, sodomites, homosexuals that have been killed and another 50 some odd injured. And then the the Muslim guy himself was, was shot by the police it sounds like. And here's the good news and the bad news about this. You know, the good news is that there's 50 less pedophiles in this world because, you know, these homosexuals are a bunch of disgusting perverts and pedophiles. That's who was a victim here are a bunch of just disgusting homosexuals at a gay bar. Okay, but the the bad news is that this is now going to be used, I'm sure, to push for gun control where, you know, law abiding normal Americans are not going to be allowed to have guns for self-defense. And then I'm sure it's also going to be used to push an agenda against so-called hate speech. So Bible-believing Christian preachers who preach what the Bible actually says about homosexuality, that it's vile, that it's disgusting, that they're reprobates, you know, we're going to be blamed. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's all extremism. It's not just the Muslims, it's the Christians. I'm sure that that's coming. I'm sure that people are going to start attacking, you know, Bible-believing Christians now because of what this guy did. Now, let me just be real clear. I've never advocated for violence. I don't believe in, you know, um, taking the law into our own hands. I would never go in and, and, and um, you know, shoot up a, a gay bar, so-called. Um, I don't believe it's right for us to just be a vigilante. We're supposed to obey the law of the land and obey the powers that be. So, I would never take things into my own hands or become a vigilante. But I will say this, you know, the Bible says that homosexuals should be put to death in Leviticus 20.13. Obviously, it's not right for somebody to just, you know, shoot up the place 
because that's not going through the proper channels. But these people all should have been killed anyway, but they should have been killed through the proper channels, as in they should have been executed by a righteous government that would have, you know, tried them, convicted them, and saw them executed. Because in Leviticus 20.13, God's perfect law, he put the death penalty on murder, and he also put the death penalty on homosexuality. That's what the Bible says. Well, I'm going to stop it there. So, listen, I know that some people who have like never been believers listen to this guy and, and just think that there's only one of him, that he's unique, that pe people can't really think this way. Right. But that's not true. He does believe this. He, he has a church. He has a following. There's many other people like him. And this illustrates the work that still needs to be done. Um, yes, a lot of progress has been made, but then you have the lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, right. tweeting, man reaps what he sows hours after this attack, claiming that it was a scheduled tweet right. and has since deleted it. You have people in the government that hold these, these hateful beliefs. And right. while this pastor can claim, I've never advocated for violence he's still saying it's a good thing they're dead. Right. So what message is that sending? Well, listen, let's not kid ourselves about Pastor Stephen Anderson. His view of what the Bible says isn't incorrect. If you can give the guy any credit at all, he is teaching what the Bible says. Leviticus 20.13 does call for death to gays. The Bible does teach this. And for you Christians who want to say that, oh, well, that's the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Jesus, he didn't know, no. Jesus said not one word, not one letter of the law will be taken away by my coming. It'll all stand. And part of the law is death to homos. So I... I was in a discussion with someone about this and they asked me, you know, but what about the religious people who ignore those parts? And I said, okay, great, great. If people want to have religious beliefs that do not harm other people, do not oppress other people, they're not going to be using those beliefs to harm others, then great. Right. Then great. If you're not going to take a literal interpretation of the Bible, awesome. Great. If you're just going to ignore that, that's that's great. Well, not only that, but if you're not going to put that on everybody else, that your particular angle of living your life, if that works for you, great. But if it doesn't work for someone else, it shouldn't be applied to them just because it works for you. Just because you believe it is the inerrant word of God doesn't mean someone else has to live their life that way. And that goes for Islam, that goes for Christianity, that goes for Judaism, the three big monotheistic religions that are rooted absolutely without any equivocation, rooted in violence and bigotry and hatred. So whenever terrible things happen, good people always come to help. And that is what happened in Orlando as well. And people waited hours in line to donate blood. The line, the picture, the video of the, of the line that I saw was goddamn incredible. 
hundreds of people, I mean, wrapping down the side, around the block. It was insane. I mean, I had the thought in my head, what mechanism do they have to store all of, they're going to have to ship that blood somewhere because there's no way the amount of blood that they took from people that they're going to be able to use in the Orlando area. They're going to have to move that blood around the country because it was tremendous, the outpouring of support and community involvement, which you would expect, but so it's not really a surprise, but it's just so refreshing to see in the wake of such a terrible event. Not only people donating blood, but people dropped off water bottles, pizza, donuts, other items to the people that were donating blood. Yeah. Um, and and then the GoFundMe page, which is GoFundMe.com slash Pulse Victims Fund, has raised, as of now, over like $600,000. Yeah, when I saw it just a few hours ago, it was at like 25000 and the the main goal was... $250,000. And then they, th- th- there was so much money pouring in that they changed the, the, the finish line to a million dollars and it, it raised quite a bit. I mean, th- it is, again, a loving outpouring of support, which is what we should see. So I really want to emphasize that, that this is horrible. And there are people that continue to contribute to the the stigma and the discrimination and the violence against the LGBT community, even in the aftermath of this tragedy. But there are also far more good people that work to fight against that. And I think it's important to continue to fight against that. And to try not to get bogged down by the the negativity and the hateful people, because it, it's easy to do that. It, I it's think. real easy to do that, for sure. Again, if you'd like to sound off about this, tell us your feelings. A lot was said. Uh, we avoided a lot. Um, but if there's something specific you'd like to talk about, vent, whatever, 657-464-7609. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So normally the mid-roll would play here, but I'm going to be the mid-roll. Ah, nice. Yeah. So <laughs> listen, we have a Patreon website. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore, and you can give any amount, literally any amount to us per episode you can also set a monthly maximum so that you never go over your budget. And seriously, it's any amount. So we've had people, you know, express concern about just giving a quarter per episode. And truly, we appreciate literally anything <laughs> that is given to us because what a privilege it is to um, have people donate to our cause and partner with us and, and join this conversation. Yeah, for sure. You know, the other thing is, you could do PayPal, which is there's a link on the website. I know I talk about it all the time, but you can also do PayPal, which is if that you feel more secure with the PayPal. Um, and we have many people who just give, you know, five dollars a month and ten dollars a month, but you know, a dollar ninety nine a month, which is like half the price of one of those ridiculous cups of coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> that per month. And the other thing is, you know, we don't when you do give on Patreon, and I'm going to end it here because I don't want to go on and on and on about this, 
But all those bonus content and all that stuff we do, that doesn't get charged to Patreon. Obviously, it wouldn't get charged to PayPal because that's not how that works. But we're, we're really trying to put our heads together to come up with new and inventive ideas of providing extra content than just our normal numbered episodes. So those of you who do give, those of you who are thinking about giving, even if you don't give, listen, we love you. We appreciate you guys. Uh, without you, there wouldn't be a show because there's no reason to do a show for, for uh, someone who's not listening because then there isn't someone there. What see a good what a good point. See how that works? What a good point. Super logical. Jesse Dollimore, everybody. All right, let's get on with the normal train wreck that is Dollimocracy. Dollimocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, the tide is turning. The script is being flipped in the Donald Trump camp. The man who has said many things in the past derogatory about using a teleprompter, maligning, deriding Hillary Clinton for using a teleprompter, is now apparently being told what the fuck to do, and he's using the teleprompter. But let's let, let me go back and we're going I'm going to remind you of all the different things that Donald Trump has said relative to his disdain for the use of the teleprompter. If I was presidential, first of all, I'd have a teleprompter. You ever see uh, crooked Hillary Clinton? She walks in. Good afternoon, Bridgeport. How are you? This is crooked Hillary Clinton. Then people start yawning, leaving. The whole thing is a disaster. The whole thing is a disaster. Well, he also said this. And, you know, part of the beauty is of doing what I do. I have a very good memory, so I can do this. No <laughs> teleprompter, right? Is there a teleprompter? This is like a magic. This is like a magic act. Is there a teleprompter? I saw Hillary the other day. Ba, 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 ba. Ba, 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 ba. Ba, ba. And the worst thing, she was outside. So, you know, and outside, they paint them black on the back. You can't even see. So this whole half, it was the biggest screen I've ever seen. So he clearly has some, some strong feelings about using a teleprompter. Here he is again. You know, it's funny. I got a great review on a speech the other night. They say his only problem is he speaks through his applause. You know why? I don't have time to wait for the applause. I want to just do it. It's true. The guy gave me like this great review. He said, he's a great speaker. He does beautifully. He's, uh, you know, he's not scripted, which is good. Supposing I was reading all this stuff, you know, with the teleprompters. I actually said, if you're running for president, you should not be allowed to use a teleprompter. No, it's true. It's true. It's so easy. Well, he even went further than that. You know, I said, if running for president, you shouldn't be allowed to use a teleprompter. He actually went a little further and said the word outlaw. They should be outlawed. I say we should outlaw teleprompters for anybody, right? For anybody, for anybody running for president. That's three anybodies. You should outlaw teleprompters for anybody running for president. Well, anybody, that would include Donald Trump. Well, listen, in the wake 
of this fiasco about his racist, hateful remarks about the judge in his Trump University case, someone has gotten to him and they have changed their method of speech giving. This is Donald Trump responding directly about the judge in a speech given while reading from a teleprompter. Religious freedom, the right of people of faith to freely practice their faith, so important. Freedom of any kind means no one should be judged by their race or their color and the color of their skin should not be judged that way. And right now we have a very divided nation. We're going to bring our nation together. If I win, we're going to bring our nation together. The importance of faith to United States society, it's really the people who go to church, who work and work in religious charity, so important, and share their values. These are the foundations of our society. We must continue to forge our partnership with Israel and work to ensure Israel's security. It's like a a dog at a dog show. That's been well trained. Yeah. That's like running through the obstacle course. Yeah. Not, right? not even really well trained, just kind of sloppily doing it. Well, <laughs> yeah, but he's he's talking slower. Right. He's yeah. more methodical. He's, you know, taking his time. I mean, he's adding in the little so important, so good. You know, he's still right. adding in his little stupid things, but it it's better. Well, here's the problem is it masks. What's really in Donald Trump's head? What's truly in Donald Trump's heart? Because when he's speaking extemporaneously and he says, that judge cannot judge me fairly because he's a Mexican. And he says it with that divisive kind of a tone. He's a Mexican. Not, oh yeah, well he's Mexican, so it's clearly he has some anger against my policies. It's no, he can't do it because he's a Mexican. That's what's really in his heart. That's really what's banging around in his empty skull. If you just have a speechwriter who's using measured language and saying all the quote-unquote right things, and then he reads it, he's not expressing what's in his fucking heart. That's the problem. So using Donald Trump's own logic about using the, you know, the problem with using a teleprompter, it's an indictment of him. Well, all of this entire situation isn't lost on the Democratic Party, on Hillary Clinton, on the super PACs, the 527s that are supporting her. This is a commercial about this very issue and about the disunity within the GOP. If you are saying he can't do his job because of his race... Is that not the definition of racism? I don't think so at all. We're building a wall. He's a Mexican. How dare he question a judge's responsibility, a judge's adherence to the Constitution because he is of Mexican descent. Is that not a racist statement? I couldn't disagree more with a statement like that. Are you comfortable with a potential president attacking a federal judge for his heritage? No. 
This, this is one of the worst mistakes Trump has made. I think it's inexcusable. He says that when he questions whether the judge can be fair because of his Mexican heritage, that is not racist. Do you agree? Look, I, uh, I don't condone the comments. I completely disagree with the thinking behind that. He is just as American as Donald Trump. Mexican-Americans bleed just as any other American when they go to war. They bled just as any other American at 911. They fight for America. They are Americans. And what he is doing is disgusting. I'm livid about it. And if this is his strategy to win over Hispanics, he's got a hell of a wake-up call coming to him come November. So clearly Donald Trump has a problem on his hands when there are so many mainstream Republicans that are opposed to the things that he says. And one, I think this is good because it really does show that although they are misguided, that so many of them are continuing to support him and continuing their endorsement of Donald Trump in the face of his racism. It still shows that the entire Republican Party is not made up of hateful racists. Donald Trump's not really a Republican. He's a a, a filthy opportunist, if anything. One of Donald Trump's chief challengers on this issue would be Mitt Romney, the former Republican nominee for president. He sat down with Blitz. I'm sorry, Blitz. I meant Wolf. Good old Blitz with CNN. And they talked about this. And Romney warned that Trump could be inspiring trickle-down racism. Well, everyone else could make their assessment, but he's, he indicated what he believes in his heart about, uh, about Mexicans and about, about race uh, by the comments he made about Judge Curiel, and he may try and distance himself from that today, but, uh, but we know what he believes based on what he said. And, and by the way, he didn't just say it once. It wasn't a slip of the tongue which he went back and apologized for. First of all, he's repeated it time and time again. And secondly, he's never apologized for it. So uh, he, he, uh, he obviously sticks by what he believes. What would he have to do to win your support? Well, I, I don't uh, think there's anything I'm looking for from Mr. Trump to, uh, to, to give him my support. Uh, he's demonstrated who he is. And I've decided that a person of that nature should not be the one who, um, if you will, becomes the example for coming generations or the example of America to the world. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't want to see trickle-down racism. I, I don't want to see uh, a, a president of the United States saying things which change the character of the generations of Americans that are following. Presidents have an impact on the nature of our nation. And trickle-down racism, trickle-down bigotry, a trickle-down misogyny, all these things are extraordinarily dangerous to the heart and character of America. And, and, and so I'm not... I'm not looking for Mr. Trump to change a policy that more aligns with my own. This is not a matter of just policy. It's more a matter of of character and integrity. You think he's a racist? Oh, I think his comments time and again uh, appeal to the racist tendency uh, that exists in some people. And I think that's very dangerous. So I I like how he's recognizing uh, trickle-down racism, trickle-down bigotry, trickle-down sexism. Um... I would appreciate going further, um, particularly as it relates to the anti-LGBT sentiment. Yeah, for sure. Which I know that Mitt Romney is more moderate, more more more, liberal. He's more comfortable with that, though. I mean, he was the governor of Massachusetts, 
Right. Um, but in terms of his party, yes, they are the ones who are advancing the the hatred and vitriol. And it would be great if he would have specifically called attention to that as well. But yeah. this was great. This was great. Well, it's listen, any step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. Right. Right. <laughs> so even recognizing that, listen, expressing these views and getting the lowest common denominator riled up is not good for the country. Yeah. And having a prominent figure from the Republican Party, Mitt Romney, come out and say this is good. Although the people who support Donald Trump, the people that he's trying to get this message to, aren't going to listen to him. Well, here, here's my, my problem with all of this. And this is not just a criticism of Republicans who have talked about this. This is a criticism of everyone. Everyone's saying, well, yeah, the statement was racism, was racist. But I don't really think that Donald Trump is racist in his heart. You know what? I believe Donald Trump is a racist in his heart. You can only say so many racist things before I start thinking, huh, maybe that guy's a fucking racist. You judge a guy on his words. And yeah. his words are time and time again, not just peppered with racism. They are just entrenched in a racist outlook about America when he has supporters who are self-described white nationalists who talk about, and there's no beautiful white babies in school anymore. He's a racist in my view. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're touching on an important point, which is they try to say, oh, you know, his statement was misconstrued. Oh, you guys are, you're not understanding what he said. You, you guys aren't understanding the intent of his message. Okay. I'm not going to read into what the implicit assumption should be. I'm right. just going to take the words that he said. I'm not right. going to try to figure out what he could have meant. I can just look at like the words that he said and then how those words are defined and well, how they should be interpreted because it, of what he said. Absolutely. It's like when Jeffrey Lord on CNN, and he's like, well, what he meant was, and then he has this very articulate way of describing it. Well, but he didn't say that though, Jeffrey Lord. You said that. Those are your words. Right. All we have to go on are the words of Donald Trump, the racist sentiments of Donald Trump. All right, well, let's let's move off of the orange wonder. And let's move on to the other candidate for president, Hillary Clinton. We all know that she is embroiled in a controversy related to her emails. And there have been many Freedom of Information Act requests to uncover some more details in the issue. Well, there is also controversy, and we're going to get to the email thing, but there's also controversy surrounding her position on the Trans-Pacific Partnership. She was for it, then she was against it. She, she talked about it being the gold standard. She was apparently, allegedly, possibly in charge of organizing it, of plotting it out before she turned against it, quote-unquote. Well, here's Jake Tapper talking about um, 
the different Freedom of Information Act requests to find out exactly what her role was in deeply troubling revelations that I believe are not getting enough press. Turning now to an Obama administration decision that we learned about today, one that is once again at odds with President Obama's much ballyhooed pledge to be the most transparent administration in history. The issue at hand, Hillary Clinton's role in crafting the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is the largest regional trade deal in history, brokered while Hillary Clinton led the State Department. It's a deal which the likely Democratic nominee vouched for as Secretary of State no fewer than 45 times between 2010 and 2013, and called it the gold standard of all trade deals. But as a candidate with harsh criticism about the trade deal coming from Bernie Sanders and desiring the support of labor unions that opposed the deal, Clinton said she did not work on the controversial trade deal, and she came out against it, arguing that Congress should reject it. As of today, um, I am not uh, in favor uh, of what I have learned about it. I have said from the very beginning that we had to have a trade agreement uh, that would create good American jobs, raise wages, and advance our national security. And I still believe that's the high bar we have to meet. I don't believe it's going to meet the high bar. Now, Clinton's role, or lack thereof, in the behind-the-scenes formation of this trade deal has been of real interest. Almost a year ago, last July, the senior editor for investigations at the International Business Times, David Sirota, filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the State Department for then-Secretary Clinton's correspondence related to the Pacific trade deal. Now, this is certainly in the public interest. Sanders is not the only Clinton opponent of the trade deal. So is Donald Trump. He's also critical of the trade deal. Last November, State Department official Charlotte Duckett estimated that Sirota's request would be completed by April of this year. That did not happen, however. And today, Sirota announced that the State Department has told him that his request will not be completed until the end of November, after the presidential election. Now, the average Freedom of Information Act request made of the State Department takes 111 days to process. Sirota says this one, according to his calculation, will take 489 days. Now, this means that you, as a voter, will not have information that you might want about Hillary Clinton and an important substantive issue dealing with jobs and trade. You won't have that information, of course, until you've already decided whether or not you vote for her or for Donald Trump. The Department Inspector General in January noted that the State Department is particularly weak among Obama administration agencies when it comes to fulfilling the obligations of this law. The IG said that responses to these requests are deficient, that there aren't enough personnel at the State Department to carry out all the requests, and that State Department leaders have not played a meaningful role in making any improvements. And at a certain point, one begins to wonder if these weaknesses are deliberate and that these efforts to conceal information do not conceal a certain disdain for the public. And you're right to know. Important stuff. The other thing related directly to this TPP stuff, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is the fact that Hillary Clinton's book, Tough Choices, or Hard Choices, or whatever the hell her na name of the book is, it just got re-released with a new edition of the book. And all references to her praising the Trans-Pacific Partnership were removed from this new version. Troubling. 
problematic to say the least. So Jake Tapper always goes after the Obama administration for transparency. And he should because he did promise Obama said the most transparent administration in history and it's been anything but. Right. And the uh, Trump campaign calls CNN the Clinton News Network. Right, right. And they've actually done some really great reporting that is not very positive. (laughs) For sure. I'm sure the Clinton camp doesn't appreciate it. Right. So the Clinton News Network is not doing a very good job (laughs) supporting the Clinton campaign. For sure. Well, the other thing directly related to the FOIA request, the Freedom of Information Act requests. This is the people's government. This is our government. That's what a Freedom of Information Act request is. It's that this isn't classified, and it's the goings-on of the government I pay for. We, the people. So we have a right to see what's going on in our transparent government. Well, the RNC, the Republican National Committee, has requested... A, a bunch of emails related to Hillary Clinton in her time at the State Department. And they put in a Freedom of Information Act request to which they were told it would take 75 years to complete. Here is a State Department spokesman, Mark Toner, explaining it away and justifying it as though that's a reasonable answer. That's right. right. All right. And then the last, last one on this, yep. and, the, 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 and the other one, the RNC FOIA request, that you guys say it's going to take 75 years to complete. And I actually did a little digging on this. And um, I, I mean, all, you know, I mean, that is a, an incredible number. Um, but um, so I can't comment specifically because it's a matter of ongoing litigation. But I would ask you guys to look at the, the court filings. Uh, they do, do provide the, uh, the, the, the details uh, on why we arrived at that figure. I mean, it's an enormous uh, amount of, uh, of uh, emails, uh, or rather, um, uh, uh, sorry, it's an enormous amount of uh, FOIA requests, and uh, very broad um, uh, and uh, very complex. So yeah, this stuff would be released sooner than 75 years, just under the regular record, wouldn't it? <laughs> Again, it is the volume. I mean, that's longer than most classifications last until. I mean, well, a lot of the stuff that's classified is for, for only 20 years, 75 years seems. Again, I, I refer you to the, the court filing. It, it's an it's a very broad range uh, involving a, a number of, uh, of people over a, uh, a period of, I think, four years. Uh, and it's it's not an outlandish estimation, believe it or not. But, but it's not outlandish? I mean, it just, I mean, the, the, just, I, refer coming, to the, uh, I refer you to the court filing. It gives the rationale behind this estimate. That is your, if you're an American, that is your government. That is your State Department, which in my estimation is trying to protect Hillary Clinton and her candidacy for president, their former boss, they're trying to protect, just like they are trying to protect her with the TPP thing that JTAP at CNN talked about. This isn't good. It also kind of points to what you have to look forward to with the Clinton administration.
What we had planned to do is talk about Gary Johnson and his third-party candidacy because it's not just Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in the race. There is someone who right now is polling at about 10% or higher, just higher than 10%. All he needs is 15 to get on the debate stage with the general election candidates. But we're going to have to wait until next time because this entire tragedy, this terrible thing in, or- in Orlando happened, and it kind of uh, took over the, the, the topics of the show. So uh, we're going to end the show. But before we do, we're going to give you a few ways that you can help Orlando if you feel so moved. I also, b- before I start reading those, I want to just talk about the world and how it came together and all these um, cities that lit up their various landmarks in the rainbow flag. Yeah, it's awesome. So in Tel Aviv, the Tel Aviv City Hall was lit in the rainbow flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sydney Harbor Bridge in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Um, obviously, the World Trade Center, New York City, Nashville, Brisbane, Boston. Okay, many cities. Yeah. Um, showing their support by, you know, lighting their cities. Their landmarks. Right, with the rainbow flag. It is nice. Listen, we still live in a world that there are some in who are attempting to continue the shroud of darkness and ignorance related to LGBT issues and LGBT rights. But largely, we have moved into modernity and, you know, in civilized society, there are people who love and support. And if you are a member of the LGBT community, you got to know that there is a lot of love. There is a lot of support. There is a lot of acceptance. And it's not all shitty people who hate and want to oppress you. There's still a lot of work to be done on the front of rights. But there are a lot who, who, who are arm in arm and hand in hand with you. So ways to help. The GoFundMe page, GoFundMe.com slash Pulse Victims Fund. Obviously, if you're local, you can donate blood. Um, an LGBTQ advocacy nonprofit, Planting Peace, has launched a crowd rise campaign to help cover victims' medical costs as well as funeral costs. And you can donate there at CrowdRise.com slash We-Stand-With-Pulse-Fund fund and we will put all of these links up on the facebook page and the twitter page and in the show notes right and so there's many different ways that you can help whether it be donating blood uh, donating money but then also just um raising your voice in support of the lgbt community and speaking out anytime you see religious bigotry Yes. Uh, Whether it be in person, whether it be online, whether it be wherever it is happening, the only way that people have even the slightest opportunity of changing is by being challenged. And I know that when you challenge people, it doesn't typically work out that way. But if enough people do it and it happens enough you eventually get to work people down. 
Yeah, for sure. And there's a possibility that people will change and alter their views. Well, and also look at this. We've talked about this before relative to Facebook talks and discussions and arguments. But it's not always the person with whom you're directly discussing something. That's not always where the change happens. A lot of times there are people who are witnessing from the sidelines who are silently reading the discussion you're having in a particular thread and what you say sways them. Many times, both Brittany and I have gotten messages on Facebook thanking us for things we said and saying that over time after reading all the things, we've kind of, we've swayed them. We've changed their minds. And I'm sure it's not solely the work of Brittany Page and I, but it's also other things they've seen. It's a slow process changing someone's mind. So don't think that ah, I'm just going to block them. I'm just going to delete them. Because not only are you not going to see what they say, they're not going to see what you say. And it is important. Changing our world is important. Changing the minds of those who need their mind changed is important work. And each one of us has a role in that. All right. We're going to end it there. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to sound off about these or any other topics, 657-464-7609 or email a voice memo to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Any step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs>